Guys, it's really great to be here to, to visit James, just to see how the Lord used him. I, I told first service after I had to fire him in 2007, and uh, he was able to pull himself up by the bootstraps and start this church. No, I'm just kidding. It was awesome just seeing how God sent James here in 07, um, just a bunch of people coming over from the peninsula to Coastline. We're like, man, we just need to do something over here. And so God raised James up. It's so cool just to see the work that's going on here. Amen? Good stuff. So yeah, Regina and I moved to Astoria in 99, where I was sent out from Applegate Christian Fellowship, and um, we started Coastline. Um, and then about a little over three years ago, we moved to the island of Kauai, and I love how everyone says, like, serving the Lord heartily in Hawaii. But uh, it's actually a very difficult place to live, a great place to vacation. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just able, able to do kind of a supportive role over there for the last three years as an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel North Shore. And, um, and we're now in a new season in our lives. Um, and I'll give you more of that story kind of on the back end of this. But what I really want to do is just open the word um, because I feel like God's got a word for you, for me this morning, um, to encourage us. And then um, I'll just, I'm using this word because it's awesome, but then it's also a great segue to talk about a little bit about what God's doing in our lives as well. So um, I'm going to be out of Mark 5 this morning. So if you have a Bible, um, Mark 5. Mark chapter 5, and what I think I'm going to do, like, I think my approach, again, for this service will be like last service. I'm going to, I'm going to read the first 20 verses just all in one shot, because I want you to hear the story just kind of, you know, without being broken up, and then I want to just talk about that story, break it down, we'll give some more details and stuff, but for now, let's just look at the story itself, verses 1 through 20, Mark 5, says this, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Some of your Bibles might say Gadareans. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, he fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus said to him, what is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, of, came out excuse me, and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now the herdsmen fled. They told it to the city and to the, in the country. And the people came out to see what had happened. Verse 15. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had been possessed with the legion, sitting there 
clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim it in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. Everyone marveled the word of the Lord. Father God, thank you for your word. Even just reading it again out loud, I can just feel my spirit being encouraged. I can sense, Lord, that you're speaking to my heart again. I know you want to speak to us. Your word is living and powerful. Holy Spirit, right now, would you come, shove every other distracting thought out of our mind, and would we just have a space right now where we could hear your voice? Thank you, Lord, that you're here with us, and we just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you guys have read this story or heard it, maybe in Sunday school? It's an easy one to remember, right? Like, there's thousands of dying pigs, so it's, it tends to stick out. Um, I've been looking at this passage. I've taught it a couple times in the last month or so, and what keeps kind of striking me about this passage is, frankly, how weird it is. <laughs> it's just kind of a weird passage. There's all these strange little nooks and crannies and details that when you read it, you kind of just like, what, what? I was telling first service, it's almost like when I read it, if you could see the little conversation bubbles above my head, it's like 2,000 demons, question mark, the pigs, question mark. What's it, like, what is happening? Why is, there's so many weird, strange details in this account of Jesus's ministry. Um, that's what strikes me. But what I really want to boil this down to is this strange, weird, kind of sensational story that it is, 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 is this. It's actually a simple story. Listen, it's a story about a guy who is desperately, hopelessly lost and broken. And one day Jesus, the Son of God, shows up on his shores. And that man encounters Jesus, and his life is transformed forever and all eternity. Amen? I mean, isn't that really what the story's about right there, right? And that's the gospel, guys. And what I'll, I'll draw out at the end, again, it's not going to be like no fancy trick applications here. This is our story. This is the gospel because we were lost and broken and hopeless and helpless until Jesus came to the shores of our hearts, the shores of our lives, and we encountered him. And then um, we were never the same. Amen? It's the gospel. I don't want to talk about that, but... Um, and then, again, like James said, I want to tie this into how this relates to what the heck God's doing in, in our lives. So, but let's talk about this story, and I want to just fill in the, the details. I'm not going to look at every detail. Like I said, there's a lot of strange, interesting things. I just want to get uh, some more little nuance and color to help us kind of maybe put ourselves in it a little bit. Uh, look at a few things. Uh, excuse the sniffles, by the way. It's cold here. This is different climate than I've been used to recently. Um, so a couple of things uh, as far as details concerned, and if you're taking notes, maybe a couple of things you might want to jot down just to kind of keep in mind. And there's a reason I'm doing this. I'm not just kind of randomly pointing things out. Um, the first thing I want us to notice, look at verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, they came to the other side of the sea. I want to talk about the place 
and, and, and Jesus going to this place for a second. So when it says they went to the other side of the sea, oh, and by the way, this story is in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So when you read them all together, you can kind of get more details that you may not encounter in, in this particular passage. But when it says that uh, Jesus and the guys sailed to the opposite side or to the other side of the Galilee, if there was a map behind me of the Galilee um, where Jesus lived, where he kind of based his ministry and hung out when he was in that area, would be kind of on the northwestern kind of slopes of the sea. Uh, Capernaum, uh, even down in Tiberias, all that region, which was where the mass population was of Jews, also Romans and soldiers and things like that. But that's where he based his ministry. So when it says that Jesus crossed over to the other side, it doesn't mean he necessarily went to the farthest point away from him. He just basically cut across the lake to kind of the southeastern shores. Now, the reason that that's significant is it's on the east side of the Jordan River at this point now. This is like Gentile country, if you would. There are Jewish people there. You might remember when the Jews came originally into the Promised Land, two and a half tribes actually stayed on the east side, so there is a presence there. But he went to this area of the Gadareans or the Gerasenes. Uh, there's some debate on that. But the reason why that region is called that is because of the major city that would be to the south uh, east of, of the river there. I'm not trying to bore you again. There's some reason for this, which would be the city of Gadara. Now, the reason Gadara is an important part of the story is because it's one of the cities of the Decapolis. So do you guys remember reading that, like verse 19 or 20? It says that this guy went out and told everybody in the Decapolis about Jesus. The Decapolis was basically um, a group of city-states, 10 city-states. Deco meaning 10, uh, and then I don't know the word for city-state, but Decapolis means 10 city-states. So there were 10 of these little anonymous, um, not anonymous, what's the word I'm looking for? Autonomous? Autonomous? Yeah. Cities, autonomous, thank you. Uh, City-states. City-states meaning like they were their own, like they had their own government, they had their own stuff going on, and they were all kind of placed in that region. There was only one of them on the west side of the Jordan, and that was called Betshan. But these, all these city-states made up the Decapolis. Now, why is that significant? Um, before Jesus, before this time, when, when Alexander the Great was going through that region and he was really attempting to secularize, to Greek eyes, to Hellenize, if you would, that region, make every, everywhere like Greece, he set up these city-states, these Decapolis, this, these 10 cities. And so what you would experience if you went back in time, you'd go into these cities and it would be like Greece all over again. They brought their culture to those cities. Does that make sense? They might have been in like Israel area, but it would have been like being in Greece. They had the, the you know, the, what's the, what, the, what is the word I'm looking at? I'm at a loss for words. The uh, pa, temples, there it is, to Zeus and to the Pantheon. They would have the theater. They'd have statues everywhere. They would have gymnasiums. And in their culture, the gymnasiums were where you would go and sweat and work out. And they had like hot to like sauna type stuff. And you'd strip down naked and wrestle and do all this stuff. And it was very, very, very loose and very secular. We would say very worldly, right? And so that area had that vibe about it. The Gadara was one of the cities of the Decapolis. Now, by this time, it's more of a Roman feel, but it's still very Hellenized, very secularized. Does that make sense? The whole reason I take even the time to develop that is that what's Jesus doing? 
he left the like acceptable Jewishy like place where a good Jewish boy might hang out, and he crossed over to the opposite, not just opposite in the sense of like you know, like geographically, but opposite in every way. Like very un-Jewish, very secular, very worldly. And guess what? That's exactly where he goes with this guys. I like to put it this way. He took his boys to Vegas <laughs> on purpose. Why? Not to gamble, not to get crazy, but to go and to seek and to save somebody. Amen? He went to, the, he left that, just, I'm wanting you to remember this. He left that acceptable like Jewish part and went to the darkest, most worldly, crazy place because the father had sent him there. And so what happens? Let's talk about this man that he encounters for a moment. And, and again, we could get lost in a lot of the details. That's not my goal. I do want to point out some of these details. So as, as soon as Jesus gets to the shore, um, we're told as he steps out of the boat, man, he is greeted by this wild-eyed, crazy man that is filled with demons. Some of the other accounts say he saw him from afar off and he came and he fell right at the feet of Jesus just as Jesus exits the boat. Imagine this is crazy. What do we know about this guy? When you put it together, again, you can read it again or read the other accounts. I just want to highlight a couple of things. The first thing we see is he's demon-possessed. Like not has demons oppressing him, this guy is literally full-on demonized. That's what the word literally means, to be demonized. He's got evil, demonic entities indwelling him, and a lot of them. In fact, um, when Jesus asked the demon, and so it's kind of this weird dialogue, by the way, when they're interacting, because the guy's there, but the demonic entity's talking through this guy's mouth, and Jesus is interacting with him, that demonic force. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ask him his name. We're legion, for we are many. Now, Legion, that's telling because in Roman you know, army, a legion is 6,000 soldiers. So whether the, the demon was using hyperbole or being serious or whatever, but he's like, there's a lot of us here. We do know there's a couple thousand pigs that died out of this whole thing. Um, so we know that this, this is crazy. The point I'm trying to make is this is out of the ordinary. Even for something that's out of the ordinary, this is out of the ordinary. This is crazy. This guy's demon-possessed. Not only that, what would strike you maybe even first is he's naked. Luke 8 tells us he doesn't have any clothes on. Probably dirty and naked. He's homeless. He's living among the tombs. He's not even living in the city anymore. He's been pushed out, partially from the demonic forces, we're told, that drove him into isolation. But I can also imagine that partly because the society, the culture, had, did not know what to do with this guy. So he's naked and he's homeless. He's living among the tombs. I mean, there's a lot we could talk about with that. Uh, among the, the tombs are where you would bury dead people. In that culture, it's a little different than ours. They, they bury the, the person the day they die. It's hot climate. Decomposition begins to set in right away. They put them in the, the tomb. They roll the rock or whatever. When the body decays, the family would go back into the tomb. They take the bones, put them in a box called an ossuary, and you'd put that box on a shelf, it would be like a family tomb. The point is, this guy's, this guy's living where dead bodies are. That, that's his home. Naked, homeless, demonized, out of control. Right? I mean, did you guys catch those details about this guy? He's, it's, it says they couldn't bind him up with chains anymore. 
anymore because evidently they had tried many times. I mean, how bad does it have to be? What point do you have to get to when you're like, we don't know what to do with this guy? In our, you know, every city has some guys like that, right? And you're like, what do you do? It got to the point where you're like, we don't even know what to do with this guy. So we have to chain him up so that he doesn't hurt other people or hurt himself. And yet, because probably this demonic thing going on within him, he has some kind of super strength or whatever, he literally breaks the chains apart every time they try to chain him. So he's absolutely out of control. He's homeless. He's naked. He's demon-possessed. And he's ostracized from all of the, cult, you know, the community. And, and the part that I, I, and I was telling first service this, the, the part that really kind of changed the way I read the story, because I've read the story a lot of times in my life, and I've always kind of looked at this guy as like, oh, what a weirdo, like, oh, kind of crazy guy. But it shifted from like weirdo kind of crazy guy to, I have a lot of compassion for this guy. The part that really gets me about this guy is that we're told every night he'd be up on the hillside from the tombs wailing and crying. Ooh, I get, I'm getting like teary-eyed just thinking about it. Crying out in anguish and cutting himself with rocks. He's so broken inside, lost, shoved aside by everybody, not, that he's, all he can do is cry out and cut himself. You know, I, I, I was leading up to this when I first uh, shared this several weeks ago, I was thinking about that idea of cutting yourself. You know, that's not a phenomenon that's new. It's been around for a long time, but it happens um, still, you know, mainly in adolescence, you know, self-hurting, what do they call that, self, um, self-harm, yeah, mutilation, self-harm, is still very much an issue. I don't know these, I'm not a doctor, I'm not, a, like, in that realm, but the little bit I've read, it's, it's, a, it's a coping mechanism, right, because you don't know how to handle the pressure, the anguish, because of abuse, because of abandonment, because of the hurt, is so hard inside. The only outlet is to like cut and for some way that brings a release. It's not a good coping mechanism, but it is one. Imagine this guy. I mean, he's, he's completely alone. And then one day, Jesus shows up. Amen? One day in his lostness, Jesus shows up. And as the story goes, he shows up, falls at the feet of Christ, and there's this exchange between Christ and, and this man, but also between the demons that we talked about a little bit. And by the way, I, I don't want to go off on this, but I, I think it's definitely worth mentioning because it's in the story. But just a few things about these demonic spirits. Number one, did you realize they know who Jesus is? In fact, they probably know who he is better than anyone else in the story right now, including probably the disciples. The demons were like, you're Jesus, the son of God. Why are you here? They know who he is. Number two, they're freaked out at who he is and that he's there. They're absolutely terrified of him. I think that's good to remember. The demons know who he is, but they're absolutely terrified of Jesus. Um, in Mark, I think it's Matthew's account. I think it says uh, something to the effect of, are you here to torment us before our time? Well, that's pregnant with meaning. What does that mean? Well, I will say this. There is a time when judgment will come on every demonic force. They'll be cast into the, the abyss. 
can read about that in Revelation. And evidently, demons don't want to go there, and they're freaked out about it, and they thought, oh no, Jesus is here to kick us down there early. So they're freaked out. Notice, too, they're also absolutely submitted to whatever Jesus says. He's, they, 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 it says they begged him, please don't send us out of the area. Can we just go into the pigs? And I love this little phrase, and Jesus gave them permission. I will allow you to go kill all those pigs. <laughs> don't ask me why about the pig thing. Point is, they knew who he is. They're scared of him. They're terrified of him. And everywhere, you know, they just brought death and destruction wherever they went. The point is, is that here's this guy. He encounters Jesus. And in this exchange, Jesus delivers those demons out of this guy. Momentarily, boom, they're gone. Amen? What happens next is the pig thing. The pigs get all demon-possessed, and they run down the hill, and they fall off the cliff into the water, and they all die. And the herdsmen are like, oh, no. There goes our livelihood. There goes, I mean, they're free. Can you imagine that? I'm not a farmer. What do you, I'm not a, it's a farmer, right? Like, it's not just food. What do you call somebody who does? Yeah, pig farmer, right. I just had a brain thing right there. It's a technical term, pig farmer. Um, so anyways, they, they're freaking out. There's their livelihood. Plus, just, what the heck's going on with this whole day? They run into the city. They're like, you guys, you got to come check this out. And, and like the whole city comes out. And I love this, you guys. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. I'm serious. It says they roll in and they see the guy who had been demon-possessed, what? Sitting. Luke says, by the way, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind a transformed life, and nobody can deny it. Now you get to the weird part of the story. If that's not weird, this is where it gets weird to me at least. After seeing that, after seeing the transfer, I mean, guys, you got to remember, everybody knew this guy. They were like, oh, who's this random guy living in the... Everybody knew this guy. It's Crazy Joe. Everybody knew Crazy Joe. What's that sound you hear in the middle? Oh, it's just Crazy Joe wailing. Remember when Crazy Joe used to... Like, they know who this is, and they, they've seen him, and they've heard all the stories, and they know all about him, and they come, and they see him, and they're like, what happened to him? Because he is in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's got clothes on. He's normal. Like, something drastic has happened to this guy. And they see him, and it says, when they saw what was happening, and they saw what was happening with the pigs, that they all repented, and they asked Jesus to come start a church in their little community, and the gospel went out from... Is that what it says? No. What it says is that they begged him, and that's the word, literally begged him to leave. Isn't that a trip? Doesn't it feel like when you read it, you should be able to read what I said the first time? Like, isn't that the natural, like, oh, look, somebody who can save us, somebody that can transform. But, and I don't know all the reasons why they begged him to leave. But the masses, by and large, have always rejected Christ. I do know this. That when Jesus comes into a life, I mean really comes into his life, I'm not talking about going to church, I'm not talking about being religious, I'm talking about when a person experiences the reality of Jesus Christ, it radically transform your, transforms your life. And if they didn't want that, if that was too much or whatever, they're like, you gotta go. You gotta go. And they rejected him. That's sad. And I've always, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I'm very visual, so like when I read stories like this, I'm like trying to put myself in the story. And, and, and I, again, I don't mean to speculate or add to the word or anything like that. I'm just, this really happens. So at some point, Jesus is like, oh, okay. And, you know, like, okay, uh, guys, load them up again. I guess we're not, we're not staying here. And he gets in the boat, 
And this is the kicker. Then this guy, 20 minutes saved, right? Runs up to the side of the boat. Jesus, can I please go with you? I just want to be with you. That's the word it uses. I want to be with you. I want to know. He's saying, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I, don't, I want to leave this old life behind. I want to go where you're going. I just want to be where you are. And again, isn't it like you feel like when you read it, you should be like, he says, right on, bro. Come on. And grabs his hand. Hop aboard. Guys, here's the new guy. New guy. Here's the guys. You know, like that, that's not what happens. Another weird thing happens. It says that Jesus didn't let him go. He says, no. But what does he say? Instead, I want you to go home. And let me read it because I, I don't like to butcher this part of it. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. He sent him out with his testimony. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to go tell everybody. I mean, they all know you. They've seen you. You're, you're a walking testimony, bro. Just go and tell everybody how good God's been to you and how much mercy he's out on your life. And we're told that that guy grabbed a hold of that and went into the whole Decapolis and preached about Jesus and people just marveled and their minds were blown. I like to say tongue-in-cheek that Jesus totally did this wrong. What I mean is this. This guy's only been saved, if you would, 20 minutes, and he's already sent out as the first missionary? He hasn't even gone to Bible college. He didn't even do like a 12-week disciple program. He didn't go to, and, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with Bible college, and there's nothing wrong with 12-week disciple programs. Those things are good, needful, prudent, and awesome. But the point I'm trying to make is, evidently Jesus thought it was prudent to just say, Hey, you know what? Now that you've experienced me, go tell others about me too. And, and here's what I just need you to do. You don't need to be a Bible scholar at this point. Just go tell them how good God's been to you. Tell them what God's done in your life. Amen. Can I just do a little aside here for a second? We can do that. Amen? Amen? Why is it that we feel like, oh, I've only been saved 32 years. I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> I'm talking to me, not to you. Like I, I'm the same way. I feel so intimidated sometimes. And I feel like, well, what if they ask me that question? I don't know. I'll tell you, in, in Kauai, it's huge, massive New Age movement vibe. It's crazy. And it's out of my league. I don't even know how to think. They talk a different language to me. But you know what you can do? You can just talk about Jesus and talk about what Jesus has done. And we can all do that. Amen? Amen. So he goes out and he does that. And... This guy just wrecks the Decapolis for Christ. Just blows it up for Jesus. And they marvel at it. So that's the story. But let me give you the real story. See, like I said at the beginning, like this is just the gospel. It's a little microcosm of the gospel. And that's our story. You know, Jesus said a couple of times in the gospels that his mission was to seek and what? He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. And that's what he did with this guy. That's what he's done with us. So just like he left the comfortable, quote-unquote, acceptable area of the Galilee and went to the dark place of that region, guys, Jesus left heaven, stepped off his throne in glory, and left his majesty and came to this dark area broken, sinful world. Amen? 
We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. We're already singing Christmas songs. And let us not forget, this is what we're singing about. It's not family time. All those things are great. We're talking about the most scandalous, crazy thing that ever happened in the history of humanity and the world and the universe. That God would become a man, enter into his own creation, lay aside not his deity but his glory and clothe himself with humanity on a rescue mission to save lost, broken sinners. And just like the step down from going from that part of the Galilee to that part of the Galilee was a little scandalous, it's nothing compared to what Jesus did from leaving heaven to become a man. I'll give a quick illustration. It's not even necessarily a good one, but um, I, I loved Hawaii. I love surfing. I love the heat. I love, I love everything about Hawaii except a couple of things, the centipedes and the cockroaches. Can I get an amen on the cockroaches? Okay, grace. They have big ones there. Like I've seen little like Estonian cockroaches before. These are like jumbos. They're so gnarly. And it doesn't matter how well you clean. It doesn't matter how well you... They're always somehow find a way. And a couple of weeks, like this is probably about a month ago, um, we're laying in bed watching a show and my wife gets up and she goes, oh, ooh, there's a cockroach in the sink. Can you get that? I'm like, can't you? <laughs> can't you get it? I mean, you saw it first. I know I'm the man and everything, but I really would appreciate it if you could kill that thing. She forced my hand, and I got up and grabbed her slipper and got over there and just, just ground that baby to death. And then and a couple of nights later, another little cockroach story, just because I was laying in bed, I was sound asleep. It was about 12.30 at night. I was, it's hot. I got the fan on me. I got like a sheet barely on me, you know, and like a leg hanging out. And something just woke me up out of a dead sleep. It was a cockroach crawling up my leg. And uh, I mean, it's funny because usually I was sound asleep, but I was so awake. And I screamed like a schoolgirl. I'm throwing pills. I'm knocking it. My wife literally had to go kill that one the next morning. I'm like, honey, it was this big. She's like, honey, I killed it. It was like this big. So, the point is, I hate them. I, I literally, this is not hyperbole. I hate them. And um, I would never save them. But let's just say I, I did love them and I, I wanted to save them. And I realized that I need to communicate to them in my condo in, that I was living in in Honol or, uh, Princeville in Hawaii. Like, uh, the exterminator's coming. I've got to warn these cockroaches, right? So I go to like, the darkest corner of the room where they're probably hiding and just be like, guys, listen, the, um, the guy's coming. You need to go. But because I am so infinitely above them in my humanness, all they would hear is, they would not. I can't. And I realize, the only way I can save these cockroaches is I must become one. So I lower myself into cockroach form. And I crawl into their little colony of whatever they are. And I'm like, guys, death, certain death, judgment's coming. The exterminator man is on his way. Like, and, and maybe they reject me and they kill. No, that, that's going too far. But so, so, so let's just say I get them all out and yet it, it, just in time and the, the guy comes and he sprays and I catch a little bit of the spray and I die. And my, I mean, that's such a stupid analogy, but it really is. But, but here's the, why I'm even attempting it. The step down from a man to become a cockroach is kind of gross and unthinkable to us. It's not even in the same ballpark, even in the same universe of talking about the God of the universe becoming a man. 
to save cockroaches like us. Well, that offends me. Don't call me a cockroach. Listen, I need to tell you something. Jesus came to save sinners, to seek and to save the lost. You know who we are in this story? We are the demon-possessed man in this story. Desperately, hopelessly, broken, lost, and on our way to destruction. That's us. I'm not saying that before you're a Christian, you're demon-possessed. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we were all lost and in this condition, and we all needed Jesus. Every one of us. And I want to just say this because sometimes I think we can kind of, like I've done this, I read this story and I, I kind of think, well, people like that need a Savior. You know, the real broken people, the drug addicts or the, or the you know, whatever, the millionaires that got all their money from embezzlement and cheating and those, the, the real bad ones need Jesus. Look at the church kid needs Jesus. The self-righteous woman needs Christ. The moralist needs Jesus as much as the drug addict. We're just as lost, if not more, because we can actually think, well, I follow the rules and I do well. And listen, if you think you're going to be right with God by following rules or coming to church, you're more lost than the guy who knows he's a wretch laying in the gutter. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not salvation in anything we can do. We are desperately, hopelessly in need of someone to come and give us what we can't give ourselves to rescue us, to pull us out of the miry muck of our sin and brokenness and to give us life. Amen? The Bible says we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, lost, separated from God. But God, with his great love, with which he's loved us, came in and he rescued us, and it's by grace we've been saved. Amen? Amen. And let's talk about that for a second. This guy encounters Christ, and his life is just wrecked, just radically transformed. In that moment, when the demons were pulled out of him, that guy, you know, we would equate it to him just coming to faith in Christ. And guys, in a moment, he was delivered. Do you know you've been delivered if you're a Christian? You've been delivered. Listen, I'm not just saying that to, to get an applause. We should applaud that. But the Bible says, Colossians 1.13, that we have been trans... What's the word that's... that's, that's um, transferred, thank you. From the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. We were in... Listen, you may have not thought this about yourself, but before you were a Christian, you were in the domain of darkness. There's only two kingdoms, and you were serving Satan. Ephesians 2 says that we were going right along with the world, right along with what Satan's doing, and we were just right along there with it, obeying the passions of our flesh and the lust and everything else. But when we met Christ, he took us out of that kingdom and placed us into another kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. Amen? Amen. That was instantaneous. The moment you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were justified. You are not only forgiven of your sin, but you've been declared righteous, as righteous as Jesus himself. This guy was radically transformed, and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Did you know that when you came to Christ and you were transformed and delivered and justified, that you have a new position? Ephesians 2.6 says that we have been seated, we are presently seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God with Christ Jesus. I don't even know what all that means. But it means I have a new position. My position is in Christ. Whether I feel like it, whether it even looks like it some of the time, I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's where my position is. This guy was clothed. The Bible says we've been clothed in the garments of salvation. We are robed in his righteousness. Amen? 
Each one of these, by the way, deserves a sermon in itself because they're doctrinally, doctrinally packed, but I'm just going to touch on them for a second. So he was delivered, he was seated, he's clothed, and he is in his right mind. How many of you, how many of you guys had a, a mind change when you came to Christ? How many of you guys think differently now than before you got saved? Yeah, because when we come to know Christ, he starts changing us from the inside out. He starts renewing us, renewing our mind by the word of God. We start to think about God differently. We start to think about us differently. We start to think about the world differently because his word begins to transform the way that we think. So my point is, is that like this guy's life was radically transformed because Jesus, he met Jesus. That's what's happened to you and I if you've met Jesus. We've been delivered, clothed, seated, and we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Amen? That's what's happening. And as I was sitting during worship, I just want to say this. I'm not even sure. It's just something that kind of bubbled up in me, and I'm not sure I'll articulate it real well. But I didn't say it first service because I feel like it needs to be said in this service for someone right now in this room. Jesus is the one who transforms life. We do not worship a doctrine or a method or a principle. We come to a person. His name is Jesus, and he's risen. And he is able today, whether you're saved, if you're not saved, he's able today to give you life and give you salvation. But I'm talking to those of us who are saved and born again believers in here. He's still the God who transforms life. He's still the one that rescues you from loneliness and from self-destruction and from addictions and bad habits and things that we pull in with us into our relationship with Christ. And he's here right now in our midst. And we, can, we have to stop treating Jesus like he's still on the cross. He did die for our sins, but he's risen and he's alive. And this is the God that we serve, guys. And if you need him today, you can call on him today. And I'm not saying he'll make all your problems go away and make everything, but I am saying this. He's alive and he is powerful and he's available. He's the living God. And this guy was sought after, we were sought after. This guy was saved and we're saved. And this guy was sent and we're sent. That's what I want to talk about at the very end here. This guy was sent. Again, I remember what I said, like, Jesus is doing it wrong. He's only, he's only been saved 20 minutes. How can he be sent? How can he already have a job to do? Guys, being sent is part of our DNA as Christians. I, I was telling James, I, I can mention it even for a service, like, it's weird to me, as Dana mentioned this too, it's, it's weird to think of, of myself in terms of a missionary. That's just a weird, like, subdivision of Christianity that we've made like a special, oh, they're a missionary. What does that mean? I don't even know. I was a senior pastor for 18 years. I was an assistant pastor for three years. But that's not really who I am. I'm just a Christian. And I'm just trying to do what Jesus has called me to do. Because every single one of us, listen, every single one of us, listen to me, every single one of us have already been sent. We are to live sent. What I mean by that is in, in John 20, 21, where he, Jesus is risen from the grave. He breathes on his disciples in that room, and he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus in the Great Commission says, all authority in heaven and earth, I'm paraphrasing, has been given to me. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That isn't to just a, a subcategory of Christians called missionaries. Guys, that is to every single one of us. Amen? Amen? Now, clearly, we're not all called to leave and go somewhere else. I, in fact, argue the point that 
by and large, will never go, most of us won't ever go anywhere else. But we are all to be living in a way that we are sent right where we are. Does that make sense? Sent gives the impression that you have to go somewhere else, but that's not how I'm using it. The way I'm using it is we live sent in the sense that we are sent to the people that we are already in context with, that live in our lives, at your school, at your job, in your home, in your neighborhood. That's who we're sent to. Oh, what's my calling? Minister to the people that are around you. Because there's people living all around us that are just as lost as this guy and just as lost as we were that need to know about Jesus. Guys, this is not me trying to be a cheerleader like, get out there, guys, get him and do it. Like, that lasts until you get to the parking lot. But what I want us to do is realize this. We've been sought after by God himself and saved. And he's, he's given to us this great purpose to go into the world, and you can do that. Why don't I didn't go to Bible college? Uh, I already shot down that argument. But you have a testimony. You can tell your neighbors, you can tell your friends, I, this is what Jesus did in my life. I triple dog dare you <laughs> to start praying today about who you can share your testimony with this week. God, would you set up an appointment for me to just share my testimony? And then ask him by the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the boldness to do it. Guys, we have good news to share with people. But it's just, it's not, we don't have to convince them. We just share them. Amen? So he, he was sent. We've been sent. Live sent. That's what I, I, I really want to communicate. I want to do something right now. Um, I want to pray right now. Because I want to button this up. And I want to then take a sidestep and, and then transition to, what's kind of going on in, in our lives. But I don't want to lose the moment because I feel like the Lord might be speaking to some of us right now. So can we just, for, for a moment, can we just bow our heads for a second? Like, interim prayer in the service here. Father God, right now, in the name of Jesus, first of all, we say thank you, amen, hallelujah, that you left heaven to come and to seek an, a, a sinner, a lost, broken individual like me. And thank you that when, by your grace, you came into my life, God, that my eyes were open, that you delivered me. God, all the things we talked about have, have happened to us if we know you. We don't want to pass over that right now. We want to say praise you for the great salvation we have. And Lord, I want to pray that you'd help us to live sent. I pray for each one of these guys. I don't know how you're stirring their heart. I don't know what you're whispering into their, their life, but would you use them? Would you use them right in the context of where you've got them? Maybe you are calling one or two or whatever to something a little different or somewhere else. But Lord, I pray that we would live lives that are so overflowing with your goodness to us that we can't help but tell people about how good you are. Lord, help us to live sent lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, for the next three hours, I'd like to talk to you about, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just a few minutes. Um, Praise God, first of all. Amen. He's so good. Yeah. Um, I want to just share with you guys a little bit about the Lord's, how's it, how this is playing out in, in our lives. Um, just to the end that you could rejoice with us, that you could pray about partnering with us in prayer or in other ways. But the way that this has worked out, as you know by now, I, um, I was so privileged and blessed to be able to, to pastor Coastline Christian Fellowship for 18 years. Um, during that time, towards the end, God 
about four or five years before I left, God really began to stir in my heart. I just knew there's something else that God is doing. And it was hard to put my finger on that. Ended up going to Hawaii for three years. Um, so blessed to serve at Calvary Chapel North Shore in, on Kauai as an assistant pastor and just got to undergird the ministry there and a different role for me. It was great. Uh, but at the beginning of this year, um, God brought something back that had been a little dormant. And that's where this whole Germany thing comes from. At the uh, beginning of the year, our church did like a three-day prayer fasting thing. And, and um, we were really praying about direction. There was just something like, okay, we're thankful to be here in Hawaii, but clearly this isn't the long-term thing you've got for us, God. This has been very good for our family, good for the church here. But God, you're doing something. And we were praying about that. And a good friend of mine, Andy Ziesmer, came out uh, to visit me as a friend. He run, he's the uh, kind of the head guy of a Jesus Mission, which is a mission-sending organization. Many of you guys know Andy. And just off the cuff, he was talking about Germany. Well, little did he know that there was something in me brewing about Germany, and my heart was ready to explode. This is right like a day after our prayer and fasting time. And I was like, you got to tell everything you just told me to my wife. And we came together later, and we were like, this is it. Like, the Lord's just doing this. So let me give you a little backstory. Um, 2013, 14, I never know, so I just throw both of those dates. Um, bear with this story for a moment because it, it kind of gives a little groundwork. Regina, my beautiful wife, she loves to be um, center of attention, so if you could just all point at her. Um, she has a, a couple brothers. One of her brothers, Nick, uh, years ago, 13, 2013, 2014, was working at a children's hospital, hospital in Arizona and one of the children there had passed away from, I think, leukemia or some kind of cancer. And um, that child's parents kind of went on this, like, hey, donate bone marrow kind of campaign to just kind of help the cause. So he was like, yeah, I'll, I'm going to, I'll donate my bone marrow. So he has, you know, a sample taken. It's entered into a database, as best I understand it, um, international database to see who needs it. Some time went by and there was a hit. A young lady in her... Uh, early to mid-20s in Germany had like a 99.9% match for his blood. So they immediately put her in the hospital, radiate her practically to death, take my brother-in-law and they get his, they do the process with his blood and they send that to Germany um, where it's introduced into her system. I'm not medical if you can't discern that. Um, the point is, is that it takes it works. So her life is saved. They tell me that they could tell that it worked by the fact that when they pulled, drew her blood and examined it, it looked like his blood. So in a sense, she was saved by the blood of my brother-in-law, which is kind of a fascinating thing. He's used that to share the gospel many times, by the way. Um, so all that to say is some time went by, and evidently in the program, thank you for bearing with me, um, after a while, the the, the recipient has the option of contacting the donor to see if they want to just, you know, communicate or whatever. That happened. Um, so they start corresponding back and forth. My brother-in-law and this girl in Germany, not a love story. I had to say that first service to get that out of your mind. It's not going there. Um, they start talking and communicating, and finally she's like, look, my parents, uh, us, we all want to meet you, so we're going to pay for your flight and whoever you want to bring with you. My wife was like, why don't you go? So I went with my brother-in-law. So I fly to eastern Germany, to this little village in eastern Germany. We actually flew into Berlin first. We get to Berlin. I'll never forget, like, these gr like, great outdoors, like, slide open. And there standing in front of us is this girl, Jenny, 
with her mom, and they're weeping as she sees Nick, the man who saved her life by selflessly going in and donating his bone marrow to somebody he doesn't even know. And it saved her family, her life, her child's life. And there's just tears, and I'm just like, you know that meme where that, you're just eating popcorn? That's me. I'm just watching like the whole thing. Like, go, or not a meme, gif, whatever it is. Like, I'm watching the whole thing, and I'm just like, I get to be here. Like, I don't even know why I'm on this trip. This is so crazy. And so for like 10 days, we're in country where all their neighbors are coming over. The newspaper comes out, does this huge article on him, and like, it's a small village. So, uh, <laughs> like, this, just this great story. And, I'm, it, and, and the thing is, we just sat around every night, and they would eat and drink and, and talk, and, and we just would talk very casually about the Lord, and you have to remember, this is Eastern Germany, so up until 1991, it was communist Germany, and it was, uh, there is no God, you're taught there's no God, you're taught Russian in school, there's like nothing wrong with the Russian language, but um, it was under that influence, and so the people we're talking to, by and large, don't even believe in God, but they're happy to talk about God. They're happy to talk about religion. It's not like this taboo thing like here where it's like, do I don't dare mention religion? Like, oh, let's talk about it. Let's kick it around. You know, so we just very organically, and it was wonderful. So all this time goes by. Still, I'm thinking, why am I on this trip? This is so cool, but I don't know. It's great. Thank you, Lord, I guess. It was neat. Um, I get back from that trip. A couple days go by. I'm still jet lagging. Sitting on the couch, I get a phone call from a guy named Tom Doyle. Some of you guys maybe have heard of Tom Doyle. He's written a few books, Killing Christians, Dreams and Visions. He spoke at Coastline a couple of times, I think. He's dealing in the missions world in the Middle East, and I was very connected with him, and I actually thought I would be going that direction when I left Coastline. Um, anyways, he calls me and he says, hey, the organization I'm with, we're doing this missions trip. We're going to Germany. Would you be interested in going to Berlin, Germany for any reason? I'm like, bro, I'm still jet lagging from my last trip to Germany. Heck yes, I'll go with you to Germany. So like now it's October. I'm like, October in Germany. This is like Oktoberfest. It's going to be amazing. So I get on a plane with him, uh, with the team. We go there. And the, the thrust of that particular thing was in Berlin. We were dealing with uh, just ministering to the refugees that had come in from Syria, Iran, Afghanistan, all over because of the crisis in Syria in 2016 and, um, and that whole thing. And so we got to actually go into refugee camps. We were inviting Muslims to coffee shops and just sitting and sharing Christ with them. It was awesome, awesome, awesome time. Well, the cool thing was is after that trip was over, I had the option of staying an extra day. So I stayed an extra day. I rented a car. I drove from Berlin back to that little village of Lingefeld. Germany in the farmlands, and um, got to drive in the Autobahn, very cool. Um, got there, and I got to spend, like, that evening, I had to leave the next morning, so we're just kicking around the table, went for a walk, talking with the family, and we had a, a friend that could speak a little English, and bless her heart, Jenny says, I want to get baptized, and I was like, I can't just say that, I mean, there's a whole conversation that has to happen before that, you know, like, that's what my, I, you threw me off, it doesn't work like that, so, like, I'm, you know, I say that jokingly, but so I was just, you know, oh, okay, just really wanted to clarify, well, this is what that looks like. This is why we get baptized. I'm just sharing the gospel. And she's looking at me like, yes, I understand that. I want to get baptized tomorrow. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Usually as Americans, we just put it off for until it's more convenient. But I, I like your, your approach is good too. Um, so it's late October, freezing cold outside. She's got a pool that's like decommissioned for the season, like half drained. <laughs> And she's like, let's do it. I was like, okay. So I got up the next morning. I baptized her. 
and I had to get in my car and drive away. I wish the story was like I baptized her and then I was raptured to the coast, but that's already been done. That's in Acts chapter 8, if you're following me. It's just a Bible nerd joke. Anyways, <laughs> I get on a plane, I fly home. That's in his story, kind of. But what really got me is as I was leaving, I realized here's a, here's a woman who gave her life to Christ, baptized, born again. Where in the world does she now go to church? Because there's nowhere for her to go there. I mean, there's churches around. I'm not saying there's no church. I'm not even saying there's not any good churches necessarily. I honestly don't know that well. But I do know this from observation and from testimony of others that have lived there for many, many years. To go to a church where somebody opens the Bible and just simply teaches the word like we get spoiled with every week, couple times a week if we want, go anywhere in the world, like drive, oh, we're in a different city, I'll go to another church. That doesn't happen. My heart began to break. And Regina could tell my heart was breaking. And we began to pray, oh God, remember God had already been stirring our heart. Is this it? Went to our, our annual men's gathering just after that in November at Cannon Beach. It was on prayer, I remember that. Towards the end of one of the, the sessions, they all huddled around me for whatever reason to pray for me. I was so grateful, about 40, 50 men praying for me. And one of our deacons at the time, I don't want to mention Marcus Handy's name, but um, <laughs> just says in a moment of a prophecy, he says, I believe the Lord just let you know that God's not done with you in Germany. By the way, I told him that the, uh, a few months ago. He's like, I don't even remember saying that. I'm like, oh, you said it, buddy. <laughs> I got witnesses. Um, but he had no idea what that meant. The Lord was speaking to me through him, and that's just one of many examples of little things. People ask, how did you know you're supposed to go to Germany? It's a lot of little things adding up to a big thing. It's, it's just like you and me trying to discern what to do, but God was working in all these ways and all these ways, and so at the beginning of this year, like I started with, when the Lord brought up Germany again, all this life came back, and then even after that, I'm like, okay, so I gotta, we're going to leave Hawaii now, and, and, and that's not easy to move off an island or onto an island. And then, again, like, the only thing I own is a car and some clothes, you know, and an awesome family. But, like, you get rid of everything. You hit the reset. I'm almost 50, and, like, I'm doing this again, like, and I'm wrestling with this again. And I remember one night, just so frustrated, like, God, what the heck are you doing in my life? Anyone ever feel like that? So I, I went for a walk. I remember one night, it's, I was living in Hanalei at the time. It's a tiny little city, and you can't even call it a city, a little town in Hawaii. Regina's asleep. I'm like, I got to go for a walk. I'm just frustrated. I go outside, and I'm just walking down the street. I meant to go pray, but I'm so frustrated, I can't even pray. I can't even talk to God. I just don't know what's going on in my life. There's not a soul anywhere. Usually there's people walking around, cars. There's not one car. There's nobody. It's just me and the Lord and the stars. And I... I tried to pray a couple times, like, I don't know, what? I turn around and come start walking towards the house, and I just, I finally just stopped. I, I'll never forget this. I stop, I look up, and I go, God, is this Germany thing even real? That was my prayer. I am not kidding you. 20 seconds later, I hear a sound. Something's happening on the other side of the street coming towards me. It's, it's this family. They're coming toward me. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, kids are all like, it's like they're, I don't know where they came from, probably a restaurant or something. They're coming and walking. And they're singing in German. And I'm like, no. And they come, they right next to me, and I go, they kind of stopped singing when they saw me. And I'm like, Guten Abend, which, good evening in German. And they're like, hey! 
yay, like that. And they just kept going. And I'm like, I'm like going home. You're like, I got to tell Regina. You know, like, wake up, honey. There's these Germans. And I was praying. And the guys are just like, go to sleep. You know, like, and it may sound like something silly or dumb to you, but God met me in that moment and he spoke to my heart. And there's been a lot of those little things. And guys, we are just, all we're doing is just trying to follow God's lead for our life, to live that sent life the way he's called us to. This isn't your story. God's got something crazy good for you. Whether you go anywhere, stay right where you're at. But we're just trying to just follow the Lord. People are like, what are you going to do when you get there? I don't know. I know what God has called me to do. I know how he's gifted me. But I don't know. Because God doesn't usually do that. He doesn't give you the whole plan. He gives you step one. And you take step one, and then he gives you step two. And we believe we're supposed to go we're supposed to live there. We're supposed to learn the culture and we'll learn the language and just be there. And hopefully at some point start a Bible study and start a home church and maybe start some more home churches. But this I know, Germany has a deep, rich, robust spiritual history. But it's dead. And it needs revival. I'm not saying we're the answer to the... I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I think Jesus told us to do this so that we're going to go do it by faith. And that's where we're at. There's way more to the story. Don't have time. I've already gone way over. I'm going to end with um, a couple pictures just so you can kind of get a visual if that's